0: hello and welcome back to blender kitchen here in new york um it's it's now officially winter time Uh, the heat is rising in the buildings and my voice is dropping with the dryness of my environment. So today's episode will be a little bit smokier than usual. I really do apologize for the vocal fry, but I felt bad about our technical difficulties for Thanksgiving. and I really wanted to push this content out. I didn't want to wait, and plus we're on this beautiful schedule um, leading right up until Christmas, so I really don't want to get behind Um, it is unfortunate that we weren't able to push out the Thanksgiving episode. Alex and I had prepared quite a delectable, um, treat going over the true history of Thanksgiving, how we celebrate it individually today, and some tips and tricks for not burning your turkey. Um it's going to be a little bit longer, about a two hour episode we were looking at, and unfortunately, there was a problem with the mic, and it just recorded dead air for two hours, so, um, I'm really sorry about that. But, the upside is, next year we could do the same exact episode, and it'll still be nice and fresh and hot for you guys. Um, yeah, it's, it's Christmas, well, it's, beginning to look a lot like Christmas here. Uh, the lights are up. Uh, it is chilly. It is hot cocoa. I am drinking tea to to soothe my very disturbed vocal cords as I record this. And it's after Thanksgiving, which means in my household, it's black cake time. So what is exactly black cake? Um, It's a fruit cake made with mostly fresh fruits that is so dark in coloring it looks black. Uh, To the uninitiated, it may appear to be a beautifully glazed chocolate cake. No, it tastes not even a little bit chocolatey, but that doesn't mean it's not delicious. It's honestly... A spectacular thing being of Jamaican descent it's a staple in my personal holiday traditions but not just mine the Caribbean world over now what exactly is this like how did we come up with this delicious concoction of fresh and dried fruits that is my production assistant Bagheera very excited that I'm home from work and demanding cuddles so how how did we decide to take all these delicious things soak them in alcohol and then eat them while consuming alcohol well let me tell you it started with plum pudding now plums in victorian england were actually raisins i don't know how we divulged but we get into a lot of little Tangents today, so I didn't want to get too down a deep rabbit hole with that. But in Victorian England, plums, raisins were called plums, and at Christmas time, there was a pudding prepared with plums in it, therefore, it was a plum put with a pudding prepared with raisins in it, therefore, making it a plum pudding in Victorian England. Um, Now, a pudding then um, it was not what we really think of today. It was definitely more cakey, more bready, but we'll get into that in a minute. So, we were starting off with this Victorian raisin pudding, and it really transformed into it. Black cake diverted from plum pudding because that's something that's still eaten today, and. It's not the same as black cake at all, but that's kind of where black cake got its start is in the recipe for plum pudding. And it's really able to be made because of ingredients from strictly the Caribbean. So without um, without the uh, influence, let's say, of the British on the Caribbean, it, it's not quite sure that black cake would have come to exist. Now, that whole history is fraught um, with terrible, terrible things. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, oh, thanks to colonialism, we have black cake. I'm saying, despite colonialism, we have black cake. I think it's one of those cultural foods um, which in my very biased opinion really showcases a culture determined to still create something uniquely them and and true to them and take part of a history that is dark and and quite quite honestly just awful and still find something positive in it, it you know and that doesn't lessen the heavy cost of the colonial trade in islands like Jamaica and the rest of what we still call the West Indies today. Um, But this cake was able, it wouldn't exist without that trade. And I think it's a wonderful symbolism of the resilience of the Caribbean people. Uh, But that got real heavy real fast. So let's back it up and talk about pudding. So originally, um, a pudding was a way of preparing a meat to make it taste good. And in this case, good just means not spoiled. Uh, As we've discussed both in taco, in in corn, when we discussed tamales, um, you know, meat before res- refrigeration was basically spoiled all the time. I think we talked about it a little bit in chili as well. People were just constantly coming up with ways to eat what what they determined as really the only source of protein they could get and not just taste the rancidness from the unrefrigerated meat they were eating. I know that's delicious and a wonderful picture to to think about. Uh, I'm sorry. Any anytime we discuss meat on this podcast, it's gonna be an episode not for food listening. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Not to be listened to while you consume food. Um, maybe we'll um we'll come out with the ratings, put it in the show notes. Taste but not approved. Um, so that you guys know that I'm going to talk about rancid meat <laughs> in advance, so yeah, but basically, a pudding was a way of concealing the taste uh of a of a gross meat in the days when there wasn't a lot of refrigeration Um, uh, puddings were initially more savory than sweet um they definitely were more heavily uh, meat-based. Uh, some examples of this are like black pudding, which is a kind of blood sausage, haggis, uh, which is. Oh, we are probably gonna do an episode on haggis. It's. It's one of those beautiful head-to-tail concoctions that is not for the faint of heart and is definitely an acquired taste. Uh, it's grains boiled in the stomach of the sheep, and that's as far as we'll get into that for this. Um, but yeah, you can still see the original influence of the, hev- the older meat-based puddings in those recipes. Um, over time... As uh, things like sugar became more available to the British people. Um, and I'm saying British uh, because we're looking at that connection. This is not to say other European um, countries. Whew, other European countries didn't have uh, pudding type recipes, but we're really focusing on uh, the United Kingdom for this episode. Um, so as sugar became more available, it became more prevalent for use in puddings. And so puddings moved away from being, um, savory to sweet. But the difference between an American pudding and a British pudding is that a British pudding tends to be flour-based and boiled. It's basically a a boiled cake, if, if you think of it that way, um, And an American pudding is more of what the British would call a cream or a custard. Uh, Which makes sense, I guess. (laughs) I guess, yeah, that makes sense. Um, The phrase, the proof is in the pudding... um, is a shortened, changed version of a saying that was said in Victorian England, which was that the proof of the pudding was in the eating. Basically, does this meat taste gross? No, you made an excellent pudding. I can't taste any of the packets that you cooked into here at all. And the proof that you were a good chef, basically, was in the eating of your pudding. Um, But over time, you know... It's gotten shortened and now we're just saying the proof is in the pudding. But this episode is not about pudding, it's about cake. So how did we get to cake? Uh, Let's find out. So before we get into everything that makes black cake... Really delicious and wonderful and fantastic. We will have to get into how sugar became more available to the United Kingdom. So this is a very, very short introduction for those of you who are not familiar and recap for those of you who are familiar of the triangle trade. It's a huge bummer which is an understatement, but I think it's really important to understanding how interconnected, um, these two different cuisines became and, and where that came from, you know, and I think this will give you a little bit of an insight into why I see black cake as, uh, one of those culinary symbols of resilience. So, in Jamaica, um, the British came, took land. Well, first the Spanish came and took land, and then the British came and took the land that didn't belong to the Spanish from the Spanish. So, a lot of that. Um, And how did the Spanish get there? You may ask, well, our neighborhood bumbling idiot Christopher Columbus first landed in Jamaica Called, well he landed in the island of Hispaniola but the entire area he thought he was in the western Indies or western India um, so he was Portuguese but he was sailing for Spain so that's how Jamaica became um, under Spanish influence uh, then the British came and took Jamaica for the Spanish and uh, I remained that way until Jamaica gained their independence. So, uh, Jamaicans uh, were forced to produce rum, molasses. Well, they were forced to produce sugar cane. And from sugar cane, things like rum, molasses, something called browning, which we'll get into for a recipe, which Jamaicans will just call burnt sugar, um kind of like a food coloring agent, then the most obvious product sugar, um, were all made from uh from from sugarcane, which um of course the Tainos or the Arawak Indians first farmed and then when they were all killed due to violence or pestilence, um you know, then um, African people were brought over to replace them and continue the forced labor, um, you know, and other native peoples from Jamaica, such as the Maroons, were forced forced into these um, plantation deals uh, of farming the sugar um, to make money for Britain but unfortunately it was not just a straight line of you make these products and then it comes to Britain and it's sold um it it would be sugarcane would be manufactured in the Caribbean and not just sugarcane also tobacco um also the manufacture of products from sugarcane, they would be made, they would be shipped to England, where people would trade them for goods, um, and then take those goods and sell them to, for money, or just more goods, Then they would take those goods and money to Africa, and then use them to buy or steal more people to put back in the West Indies because of the people that they were killing through labor there and just this vicious cycle of England, Africa, West Indies, England, Africa, West Indies. Um, so it, it is a terribly dark and brutal history. But I think it's really important to understand, you know, how the puddings were able to turn from savory to sweet, and it was really through this, through this terrible trade, you know, and um, I know you might be wondering, well, yes, that's awful, Uh, yes, I get how it, you know, that made sugar more important, but I don't get how that directly relates to black cake. Well, a lot of the things... In that you make from sugarcane, actually, all of the things that you can make from sugarcane are ingredients in black cake, rum, molasses, browning, sugar. Those all go into black cake. In addition, it became a custom of uh, soldiers, people, sailors, <laughs> people on ships. Uh, to begin to soak their cakes, their puddings, in alcohol to prevent them from rotting on the journey. And, you know, that is a technique that uh, began to be used to preserve these cakes. Now, every family has a different method of really preparing their cakes. And it's it's a closely guarded secret, you know. And everyone swears up and down that it's their best, it's the best way to make it. Um, And I'm not going to give too much away. We'll get into that in a little bit. But that practice really uh, came from sailors saying, hey, I don't want my spoiled meat to be any more spoiled. Let me soak it in rum, I guess, would be the alcohol probably. Whew, so thank you for coming on that very dark journey with me. Let's move into something lighter. As I said a little bit ago, um, every family has a different recipe uh, and a different meaning for black cakes. For some people, it may not even really be that important. It may just be like a food of a country, you know, like America and apple pie. I don't even particularly like apple pie, but I recognize that it's very popular here, um, which maybe we'll get into when we do pies, but that's, it's a German dessert, but that's one of the beauties of America is that basically everything good and delicious is borrowed from another culture, um, or stolen, but I feel like we've had enough dark talk for one uh, episode. Don't want to scare you guys off. Um, but from me, making the cake is officially how I know it's the holiday season. You know, I remember being a young girl in the broad Midwest and my mom doing the grocery shopping for Thanksgiving, stocking up on the turkey and the macaroni. And the potatoes, and I don't even know what else, because that's all I would eat for Thanksgiving. Those are the most important parts of the meal for me, you know. And along with that, she'd be getting pounds and pounds of butter, sugar, flour. For you, waitress fans, you see what I did there? Um, Butter, sugar, flour, and dried fruit, and fresh fruit, and almond paste, and coconut milk. Oh man, it would just be wonderful right? And Thanksgiving would go so smoothly and I would wake up the day after Thanksgiving and I would just smell the most tantalizing smells coming out of my kitchen. It smelled like, well now to me it's just that's what Christmas smells like. That's, that is the smell of Christmas. It was nutmeggy and cinnamony and it, a, it was as though a warm hug rose up from the oven, wafted down the hall to my bedroom, and wrapped me in its aromatic arms as, you know, I I was gently awoken into the new official winter season uh, to prepare for Christmas. And that wasn't even the baking of the cake. That was just test batches and the beginning of fruit fermentation process which for us um, my mom would do it for about a month but many other families do it for much longer some families do it a whole year before they're fermenting their fruits some families treat the fruit fermentation kind of like a sourdough mother situation where it's just always a little bit going which honestly I've experimented with that method this Christmas and we'll have a little bit of an update when we drop our Christmas special. I'll let you guys know how that turns out. I'm a little nervous but there's a lot of rum in that fermentation process so I think it's still gonna be really good. Um, you know everyone has a different fermentation time but hands down you need at least three days. Although If you only ferment your cake for three days, many people will ask, is this really black cake? And no matter what, everyone is going to have an opinion on your cake because it's that home-cooked meal, you know, where your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandfather, your parental figure, your ancestor, your family recipe has a certain way of doing it. And that's the way you really expect it to be done. And when it's done differently, you notice, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, well, this is just not how I'm used to having it. And that doesn't make it any less good. It just makes it different. So um, I really hope that my mom doesn't get too, too upset. But let's dive into my family recipe for black cake. need half a cup of pitted dates, half a cup of dried prunes, half a cup of sliced almonds, half a cup of dark raisins, half a cup of golden raisins, half a cup of dried cranberries, half a cup of cashews, six ounces of almond cream also called almond filling, half a teaspoon of ground nutmeg, one tablespoon of burnt sugar if you cannot find burnt sugar we'll add a recipe for how to make one up on the site later one teaspoon of molasses if you've made your own burnt sugar you should use three tablespoons of molasses two teaspoons of baking powder one and one-fourth cup port wine one and one fourth cup rum, one pound of flour, one pound of sugar, one pound of butter, twelve eggs. Now, that's a lot. Let's get into how we should put these things together. Place the fruits and nuts in a glass or ceramic bowl. Preferably something that comes with a lid because you're going to want to cover this in order to refrigerate. Add all of the wine and one cup of the rum. Cover and refrigerate it for one month at least. Check the mixture every other day. If the mixture has soaked up the liquid, top it off with rum and stir. When it's time to bake your cake, You'll preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Grind the fruit and nut mixture to a pulpy consistency in either a blender or a food processor. Measure out two cups and set aside. In a mixing bowl, cream the butter and sugar together. Beat in the eggs one at a time. Add the vanilla, nutmeg, burnt sugar and molasses and mix together well. In a separate bowl, sift together the flour and the baking powder add the fruit and nut mixture and flour to the butter and sugar batter alternating between the fruit and nut mixture and the flour this is because if you put everything in it all at once it's going to be very difficult to mix them together mix well until just incorporated after each addition taking care not to beat the batter. Pour the cake batter into a well-greased and floured nine inch deep pan. Bake for one hour. Check to see if your cake is done by inserting a long thin knife or pick into the center. If the knife does not come out clean, allow the cake to bake for 15 more minutes. When the cake is finished, Splash a fourth cup of rum over it while it is still hot. Allow the cake to cool before cutting and serving. The cake will last as long as it takes to eat. To preserve a cake and keep it moist, splash a capful of rum over it once a week. This cake is heavily preserved with the amount of rum that we've put in it. It will not spoil, but you should still refrigerate it. Thanks for tuning in uh, we've got some exciting things that we're working on but they're not quite ready yet so stay tuned um, when we are ready we'll announce them on our twitter uh, at blender kit tch and pod and on our instagram at blender kitchen see you next time